you know, a lot of times people think, oh, rumination, it just makes me feel better. Does it? <laughs> like, does it actually? Does it really make you feel better? Um, so a lot of times other people say like, oh, like I, it just, it, it helps me solve problems. Again, does it? Like rumination is not problem solving. Problem solving is solution oriented. Problem solving is not urgent. Problem solving is not emotional. Problem solving is more creative and open-minded and, you know, step-by-step. Welcome to a Healthy Push podcast. I'm Shannon Jackson, former anxiety sufferer turned adventure mom and anxiety recovery coach. I struggled with anxiety, panic disorder, and agoraphobia for 15 years. And now I help people to push past the stuff that I used to struggle with. Each week, I'll be sharing real and honest conversations along with actionable and practical steps that you can take to help you push past your anxious thoughts, the symptoms, panic, and fears. Welcome. You're right where you're meant to be. All right. Welcome back to a Healthy Push podcast, Jenna. I'm so excited. I know. I'm really excited too. This is one of my favorite topics and I I know this is going to be really, really helpful for people. Yeah. So this is not Jenna's first time to a Healthy Push podcast. So if you're curious, you can go back and listen to the original episode that she was in. Jenna is what I like to call the OCD queen. She oh. is a therapist, is amazing at what she does. Um, and we're going to talk a lot about you know anxiety and panic, everything relating to that too. Our topic today that we're going to dive into is rumination, which is something that I hugely struggled with. I know Jenna did as well. And this is going to be so great for for all of you listening. So Jenna, let's just start because I know some people have heard the word. I feel like it's a buzzword lately. Like what the heck is rumination? What is your definition of it? So rumination is what I define as this like cyclical thinking process where you continually go over or review or analyze the same content or same concept over and over and over and over again. It can sometimes feel for people like it's a mental rabbit hole that they've kind of jumped down or that they're getting pulled into. Um, But it's all semantics too, right? Like I actually don't think that functionally this is all that different from worry, Um, which is kind of like where I feel really strongly that at the end of the day, like is generalized anxiety disorder actually functionally all that different from OCD? That's like a whole other topic, but functionally how it works and also how we would approach it therapeutically is not any different. So it's just semantics, right? So worry, is rumination. Rumination is worry. It's the cyclical thinking of the same thing over and over and over again. And it can feel really difficult to control because it can feel automatic, right? Like it's, it's arguably a little bit trickier and more subtle and it feels more quote unquote automatic than other rituals or other safety behaviors like avoidance, right? Or like going to the bathroom and washing your hands or going into Google, typing in your question and like, ravenously going through Google and WebMD. It's more so this like, well, I I just started, I just, I've been worrying about this or ruminating about this for the past five minutes or three days. And like, I don't know how to stop. So it's really, really debilitating for people, but um, you can learn so much about it and you can learn to catch it and kind of control it. So I'm, I'm excited to talk about that too. 
Yeah. So I think a huge piece before we sort of dive into like the what is helpful, right? Because I know people are always like, well, how do I stop it? (laughs) And Mm -hmm. I think it can be really helpful for people just to hear like what this can look like and why people do it. Because I think oftentimes you do it and you don't quite even understand why you're doing it. So like I know for myself, I often (laughs) ruminated about future events Mm -hmm. and I I'm sure this has a tie, right, with anticipatory anxiety. Like before you do something, you're overly worrying about it, like just going down the rabbit holes, right, like of how is it going to look? How is it going to play out? Am I going to feel anxious? Like all that. But then also I did that, right, when I'm in it, like how is this going to look? How is how is this going to play out? Like, you know, and then of course you have all the what ifs and stuff too. But a lot of times for me, it was like the same type of thoughts, just like changing slightly without much variation. But like I would have the similar, you know, worries, these themes constantly popping up. So like for myself back when I did this, I didn't quite get why I was doing it. And now it's pretty obvious. But like, why do you think that people ruminate? Oh my gosh, I think it can be for a lot of different reasons. So um, I'm glad that you brought up the future. So I do think that rumination and this cyclical repetitive thinking about the same thing over and over again can happen certainly about the future, right? Like what is the purpose of life? Um, you know, you know, before a social event, worrying or ruminating about like who's going to be there or what am I going to do in this situation or what am I going to say here? Um it can also happen about the past, right? Like, especially with OCD, right? We have so many people who struggle with um, like hit and run OCD or harm OCD. They might ruminate about, you know, did I actually hit someone on my way home? And they might review that in their head. They may review that situation um, to try to almost replay it and revisit that as, as a form of a memory. Like, did I actually hit someone? Do I remember, you know, with my senses, anything like that? can also just happen kind of with the present, right? Like if you're feeling something in your body, oh my gosh, what does that mean? Oh my gosh, what does that mean? Um, And so it can be really about anything, but notice the pattern here is that it's usually a question, right? So it's usually in the form of a question. It's normally um, the pursuit of some type of answer to something, right? So it's, you know, what if, who, what, when, where, why type of thing or how, um, And that's like the big indicator to me that somebody may be ritualizing or somebody may be ruminating is when they're just cyclically trying to figure out this question. Oftentimes they are unanswerable questions, um, like what is the purpose of life, right? Or they're questions that are just not based in reality, right? Like we have no evidence to suggest with our five bodily senses and all the evidence that we have here in the present moment to support the fact that we may have hit someone, but having OCD or anxiety, which are the doubt disorders, right? Like that doubt creeps in, that obsessional doubt comes in and it's like, but what if, right? So it's, a, it's always the what if. But we have to recognize, again, that OCD and anxiety, they're the doubt disorder. So there's always going to be one more but what if. Um, And that's where the rumination really takes hold is to try to figure out the answer to that what if. So I think of the intrusive thought or the worry as the first obsessional thought that comes up, the what if, the question. The rumination is an actual volitional choice behavior, right? Like that we do have a choice over um, where we actually try to answer that question. 
So it's it's always really a, a key for me to have people try to get on board with the fact that worry is different from worrying. You can have this intrusive thought come up or this worry, this uncertainty, this doubt, whatever. But if you, whatever you try to do about that, that could be compulsive, right? Like that could be the rumination. Mike Hetty, um, he's also an OCD professional based out of, I believe, Towson, Maryland. Um, and he said to me once about rumination, you can't help the thoughts that pop up, but you can help the thoughts that you conjure up. And I think that is like the best way to describe it, right? Like you can't help these what if, what does that heartbeat mean? What does my headache mean? I was attracted to that female in the grocery store. Does that mean that I'm actually attracted to women? You can't help those thoughts that pop up, but you can 100% with practice, with the right guidance, with the right support, it's going to take time, but you can witness and recognize having those thoughts and making the deliberate choice to not answer them. Like I recognize that I just had that thought about that woman in the gym or, you know, that I had that intrusive thought about my relationship. There I go again. There's my obsession. I'm not answering that question. And that's how you resist rumination. Oh, that's so good. I mean, yeah. And like you said, it takes practice because it's obviously not easy. It's like so easy to say, this is the best way, right, to approach it. But it's really hard to not answer because – I know like when I was, you know, ruminating in the whole what if, like what what if I get there? What if I have a panic attack? What if it's like the worst panic attack I've ever had? What will I do? Like, you know, all of that stuff. And I would find myself answering every single question. Right. And I'll and, handle it this way. Or I'll just yeah. call my safe person or da-da-da-da-da. Yeah. It's like a lot of times people have like these positive attributions of worry, which again is semantically and functionally, I think no different from rumination, right? So, you know, if we are the types of people who think that worry is a good thing, if I'm worrying that I'm preparing myself for something, if I'm worrying that I'm being care- careful, if I'm not worrying that I'm being careless, if I don't think about this enough, then something might sneak up and attack me, right? Like you have to really get real and honest with yourself about why you're doing the rumination that you're doing and the pot, like Dr. Michael Greenberg is like the guru when it comes to rumination. He has a really wealthy, um, like information rich website. And he's been on several podcasts. That's Dr. Michael Greenberg. Um, And one of the analogies that he uses is, that rumination is kind of like holding on to a basketball. Like you can't hold on to a basketball and let go of it at the same time. Mm-hmm. Like you can't hold on to your like comfort level of wanting to be prepared for all of these panic attack scenarios and also let go of it at the same time. Like you, you choose one or you, you do it or you don't, you really have yeah. to let go and it might feel careless. It might feel like you're missing something. It might feel like you're making the wrong decision. Um, but that's all part of the exposure, right? Like that's part of feeling the ick and sticking with it and letting yourself be uncomfortable um, because you can't, I always tell people, right? Like if the core of anxiety and OCD is the intolerance of uncertainty, right? Like that pursuit of certainty. I just want to be sure. I just want to be sure. I just want to know what's going to happen to me if I have the worst panic attack. I just want to be sure. Um, you And what we're trying to get you to do is tolerate that uncertainty more. You can't sit with uncertainty and try to figure something out at the same time. Like they are completely mutually exclusive. (laughs) Like you can't 
sit with uncertainty and ruminate at the same time. They are completely mutually exclusive. If you're ruminating, you're trying to figure something out and you need to surrender that. You need to relinquish that and sit with whatever questions are lingering there. It's going to be uncomfortable. There's no magic fix. It's not easy and it takes a lot of practice and willingness. Um, But that's what we got to do. We got to stop trying to pursue the answers to these questions. Oh, I, so I love how you went into the, the why because that's exactly why I did it but didn't really realize why I was ruminating was because I was trying to prepare. I was trying to make sure that I was safe and okay and in control in every situation and every environment. And so for me, it was like a total, the more I do this – the more I'm going to make certain that I am going to be okay, that even if I have a panic attack, I have a plan, I have an exit strategy. And all of this, you know, I didn't realize at the time, right, was just sort of perpetuating more thoughts, more anxious thoughts, more anxious feelings. And then, of course, then came the safety behaviors of like, all right, well, I am going to either avoid or I'm going to call my safe person and seek reassurance or I'm just going to leave or I'm going to like look for all the exits and figure out how I'm going to get out of here quickly if something does happen. So it's like all of the understanding why you're doing it is also just as helpful as understanding what you can do when you're actually in yeah. it and, and and debunking those right like that yeah. you know a lot of times people think oh rumination it just makes me feel better does it <laughs> like does it actually does yeah. it really make you feel better um yeah. so a, a lot of times other people say like oh like I, it just it, it helps me solve problems again does it like rumination is not problem solving problem solving is solution oriented problem solving is not urgent Problem solving is not emotional. Problem solving is more creative and open-minded and, you know, step-by-step. And you try things in problem solving, right? Like you try things, you brainstorm, you try things, and then you do trial and error. If it worked, great. If it didn't, you try something different. You don't just perseverate on the same thing again and again. So I think it's really being honest with yourself about your justification or justifications for it and then really challenging that. Like, does that really help you? If it helped you, why are you still in the situation that you're in? And I really like asking people the question because sometimes, you know, if people really hardcore believe in their rumination and like it, you know, they are have been warriors their whole life and, you know, they, they it's like part of their identity. I ask them, you know. Let's like, let's not argue about whether it's, uh, help, you know, whether or not, um, you know, that's justifiable. Is it helpful? Right? Like, let's like, get it off the table of like, whether you should do it or shouldn't do it or whether it makes sense or not. Like, how is that working for you? Hmm. How is that working for you? And is that good for your recovery goals? Does that get you closer to where you want to be? No. Because what in that situation in the in the situation that you're talking about with panic, right? It feels like it would make it makes common sense, right? That like if I'm scared for this thing, I need to come up with an escape plan ahead of time and think about that and think about my exit strategies and have this plan A, plan B, plan C, da da da. But unfortunately, when things go okay, you don't leave that situation thinking, "Oh my gosh, I am a badass. I did it. I'm capable, and I can handle whatever comes my way." You're like, "Oh my god, thank God I planned all that out." So next time you gotta leave the house, yeah. it's like, "Hey, Shannon, make sure you plan that out again." And this time, spend a little bit more time just in case. 
And so you're, you're digging yourself just a horrible, horrible hole. Um, and you're robbing yourself of learning that, Hey, I'm going to this new place and I don't know where the exits are. I don't, I'm not going to like call my safe person. I'm going to see what happens. Um, and it, and it, what, it, what if it might just end up being okay? Right. Yeah. Like what might happen? That's too much of an unknown, Jenna. Come on. <laughs> I know. I know. Yeah. And it's that's hard. it's really, really hard. But, but doing these things is hard too, right? Like yeah. it's hard either way. So you might as well use the strategies and implement the tools that at least promise you freedom if you can implement them. So many times people are like, oh my gosh, I can't, I can't do that. I can't not, you know, that's too hard. And it's like, obviously hard for you to do what you've been doing. That's why you're listening to this podcast, right? Like it's hard. Yeah. It's just, I always say, right, the type of hard that you're going to be, you know, putting your energy toward and reaching these goals is going to be much more worthwhile than the hard that you're currently inflicting upon yourself. And that took me a long time to realize. It's like, I'm working so hard all the time and trying to keep myself safe. And then what if I just didn't participate in all this and I'm still safe? Oh, how much easier would that have been on myself? Like Mm -hmm. amazing. But it is like, you know, I remember sometimes literally saying to myself like, all right, Shannon, you're not going to try to problem solve for things that aren't happening. Like we're not doing this right now. And I remember like sitting in restaurants, you know, in meetings, on dates, like whatever it was, like you're not, you're not going to problem solve this. Like there is literally nothing that you can problem solve right now, but you think you're, you're so convinced, like there is stuff to problem solve. I can figure this out and it's going to mean that I'm like safe and okay. But it's just, so two, I know that, you know, this is part of it, not just the rumination before or during, but often rumination happens after events too, Mm -hmm. which can sometimes I think be even stickier or just as sticky because like I remember after um, I didn't do like, you know, um, traditional exposure work, but after I did things, I would ruminate on how it went and like the fact that I was super anxious or the fact that I had a panic attack and I would be like, well, why did that happen? I did this and, you know, that didn't work and what did I do wrong? And like, you know, I usually don't feel anxious in that area. Why did I feel anxious? Like trying so hard to figure out after. And it's like, why, why put yourself through that? But I really thought, you know, if I try to figure this out, maybe it'll help me in the future. Right. And I think so often a question people will ask themselves after events is why did I feel so anxious? And I don't like, what is your, what is your thought on that? Like, do we have to figure out that stuff? No. And and honestly, research shows that as, as much as it feels like it's helpful, research shows again and again and again and again, that this is not helpful to go back into your memory and to go back and dig up all the details. Not only does it make you more anxious, it makes you more depressed. And it actually, they've done tons of research to show, this is one of my favorite things to share people. Um, They've done research to show that they did it with like people who, you know, they go back and they check their stoves to make sure they're off. They go back to make sure that their hair straightener is unplugged or whatever. The water faucets are off. You would think that the more that someone goes back and checks those things, you know, they check 25 times, 30 times, 50 times, 100 times, common sense would tell you that the more that you check something, the more confident you would be in your memory. Mm -hmm. But that's actually the opposite. The opposite is what happens. 
In fact, the more that you check something, the less confident you become in your memory. So we find that people, you know, they lock the door or they turn off the faucet. As soon as they go back and check it even one time, their confidence in their memory starts to dip. And then they check it again. And then their memory starts to dip again. And then because they're having, you know, waning confidence in their memory, they need to go back and check again because they think it's going to fix it. And it's not. It's not. You can't argue with the facts. Like, that's science. We've studied it numerous times. And I don't care. There's nothing special about checking stoves or checking faucets. It's a repetitive behavior that we're going back to check. And we do that with our brains when we're ruminating, right? Like, you know, it's really common for people who have OCD or anxiety to like leave a social situation or a social interaction and have thoughts about like, oh my gosh, what did I say? Like, did I offend somebody or, you know, did I say the wrong thing? Did I embarrass myself? And they will review the information, the conversation in their head. They'll review what they said, what the other person said. They'll review facial you know, memories and expressions. The person with hit and run OCD may try to remember that route that they drove. I mean, any situation, right? Any theme, any content, you probably go back and have that temptation to go back and review it. Um, you know, maybe what your doctors told you, right? Like what if you're worried about a symptom or whatever, like go back in your head and think about all the tests and what Google said and what your doctor said. Um, and as common sense would tell you, right? Like you'd think that the more you go back and dig up that information, the more quality information you would get, but that's not true. You're actually becoming less and less confident. And so, and I mean, the human memory is really fascinating. I took a forensic psychology course in um, college and it was fascinating just how like even people who have been convicted of crimes, right? And they're like being asked to retell the story. The more they tell the story, the more they tell the story, the more they tell the story, they actually become less, your memory becomes like totally fuzzy, right? Like it's just, our memories are not as reliable as what we think they are. And so anytime that someone wants to go back, I'm like, "Uh uh-uh, that's danger. There's nothing good for you waiting for you in the past. It's all fuzzy. It's not reliable information. We can convince ourselves literally of things that aren't true. Just open up Netflix and watch any like true crime documentary. Someone, tons of people uh, confess to crimes that they didn't actually commit because police officers have convinced them of that. (laughs) Like our brains are not, I mean, we're really smart, but we're actually kind of impressionable. And so anytime that someone has the urgency to like go back and review something, you know, what that meant or what I felt or checking anything, right? Like checking your memory to me is the same and functionally no different from checking the faucet. Every time that you go back and try to check it, you're running the risk that you are going to reduce the confidence in your memory. Um, And so, yeah, it's just, it's really important. Your memory is not as uh, reliable as you think. And that's not necessarily like an OCD thing. That's just, that's human nature. So um, as soon as the sooner that you can recognize yourself going back and trying to figure something out, I would encourage people to one, just practice mindfulness about that. Right. And mindfulness doesn't have to be this hardcore, meditative, structured, rigid practice. It can just be paying attention to the present moment on purpose, paying attention to your thoughts, trying to observe your thoughts as though like you were a bird's eye view or a third person, right? You know, oh, there I go again. Like I'm trying to remember, you know, what was talked about in uh, the work meeting today. I'm trying to remember what my doctor said. I, As much as I want to go there, 
I'm trying to remember what I heard on that podcast and, and, and I can't go there. Like, I can't go there. I'm going to notice it and I'm going to bring my attention back to whatever it was that I was doing. And it's going to nag, right? Like, it's not going to automatically go away. It's going to feel like it's nagging at you. Let those questions linger. And it, the more that you practice, the more that you'll give your brain the message that we, that must not be important, right? Like that must not be important. I can let that go because your brain is also always picking up on the messages that you put out, right? So in your situation, right? If you ruminate and overly prepare and like set all your safety parameters before going into a public event, you've just given your brain the message that that's necessary and that public events warrant such a plan. And so, you know, your brain is always picking up on that. And so, you know, for the next time, it's going to pull out that file. Public events are dangerous. Shannon did this last time. So my job is to keep her safe. I need to make sure that we do this again and go even harder and make her spend even more time on it. Right. And be even more vigilant. So to rewrite that story, we have to choose not to answer those questions and give our brain a new message. Yeah. Oh, so good. I mean, all I'm sitting here thinking of, of course, is like some of the things that I struggled with most being, you know, driving anxiety and toilet anxiety and like just going with the thoughts so hard and wanting to, you know, plan and be safe. And the more I did it, it sent those signals to my brain. And it's no wonder I struggled for as long as I did. Cause, you know, sometimes people ask me, well, Shannon, why did you struggle for so long? And I'm like, well, I didn't understand. Like I, you know, I thought that I was, so this is a like a good segue. So I thought that I was always doing the right things, right? I, you know, I had a therapist. I I thought, you know, I'm just going to continue to drive with the toilet anxiety was I'm going to keep going places. I'm going to, you know, try to resist some things. Like I'm going to just keep pushing myself. But the big piece that I was missing was the mental component and Mm -hmm. like resisting the compulsions. And I didn't understand that that was such a huge part of it because like you said, with every sensation symptom, like for the toilet anxiety, it was like immediate. My brain was like danger. We felt this before. And when you feel this, you do this in order to be safe. And same thing with, you know, being places like driving in the car and feeling a little bit panicky, like you do this in order to feel safe. So every time I stepped foot into a car, like every time my stomach felt a little bit upset, it was like the alarms were going off a thousand percent. And, you know, I would begin ruminating. And I think, you know, you share this fairly frequently, which I'm glad. And a lot of people I feel like um, lose sight of this and don't really understand is that exposure type work isn't just about getting in the car and doing the facing your fears and doing the hard stuff so much mm-hmm. of it is resisting the mental stuff and that for me was bigger than anything because mm-hmm. I did all the things I drove I went places I you know I did the best I could but I wasn't I wasn't in any way having a healthy response to the mental stuff right and the mental stuff is tricky you know like it's taken me I've been doing this since 2008. It's taken, I mean, I still every once in a while, I'm like, oh my gosh, you were just ritualizing with me, weren't you? Like, oh my gosh, like it, you really have to be on your ball. Like you really have to identify like, whoa, I'm pursuing, I'm pursuing certainty here. Um, and yeah, like really walk yourself through that, like functional analysis. Right. And yeah, exposures are the sexy part. Like when people hear about exposure therapy or challenging yourself, they're like, oh my gosh, yeah, I can drive. I can do this. Like I can, I can go up to that person and say hi. 
But it's like, no, the hard part is actually having a different response because you've been putting yourself in those situations before. Like you've been going to public. It's just that you've been, when you had to do it, you've gone through all these safety protocols, right? Like you've, you've had to have a safe person. You've had to plan out your strategy. You've had to have all these things. And, um, the mechanism of change there is the response prevention, right? Like messing with anxiety's pattern, messing with OCD's pattern. Um, so if you're just doing exposure work, you're doing these challenging things and putting yourself outside of your comfort zone, but you're not changing how you respond to that anxiety. You're not doing anything. A lot of us, and my opinion as well, is that the only purpose of an exposure is to put yourself in an opportunity so that you can practice response prevention. That's really the only purpose of it. If you're not doing response prevention, if you're not messing with OCD's pattern and doing something different from what your brain is used to, you're not giving your brain any new learning. It's just, it's there's nothing... If anything, it's not only potentially not helpful, it could be detrimental because you're just re-triggering yourself and creating those those continued neural pathways. So, you know, it's it's all about finding these opportunities to put yourself in these situations so that you can have a different response. One of the... uh, one of my favorite like tweets or like uh, Instagram tweets and images that I've ever shared that resonates with so many people is that as long as you continue to act as though something is threatening, your brain is going to try to protect you from it. So as long as you continue to act as though stomach aches are threatening, Mm -hmm. your brain is going to try to protect you from stomach aches. So I always ask myself and I ask my members, like, how are you acting as though this thing is threatening? How are you and interpreting it as threat in your mind? Are you ruminating about it? Are you trying to prepare for it? Are you telling yourself that everything is fine? You know, how are you acting as though this thing is threatening? We have to hammer all those out, whether it's one by one or gradually reducing or postponing or whatever. Like we have to act as though this thing is not threatening. Like, yep, I have a stomach ache. Let's see what happens. Yeah, it's a big change, right? But you have to give your brain, like I said, that new message that this, in fact, is not threatening. This, in fact, does not warrant any type of special response. I'm going to notice it and go back exactly to what it was that I was doing, because that is so unthreatening that I'm not going to change my response to it at all. And of course, that's not going to feel authentic. That's going to feel like complete BS. Right. But that's what, you have to do. that's what you have to do. And eventually it gets easier. Eventually, you know, it might take a couple hours, might take a couple days or weeks, but eventually it will get easier and it will feel more genuine. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Because it does feel awful initially when you're like, nope. Yeah, wouldn't it? You've right. been giving your brain the message this whole time that this is threatening. This is threatening. This is threatening. Keep me safe. And so as soon as you withdraw that message, and you suddenly, you know, of your own lovely accord, have decided not to do this ritual anymore, your brain's job is to keep you alive, is to keep you safe. And so if you've been acting as though this thing is really scary and really threatening, it always is going to act under the presumption of just in case. So it really needs continued messaging, continued messaging that, okay, it's okay. You can stand down now. It's not going to get the picture right away. Eventually that amygdala, it's a little almond shaped structure in your brain. That's all this comes down to. We need to give your amygdala um, some time to chill. Eventually the amygdala will come around. Yeah. Oh, I love it. And, and, you know, obviously too, just being gentle with yourself throughout the process of like, you're human. This is hard. Like what you're trying to 
the signals that you're trying to sell, send your brain, the new healthier ones, like this is hard stuff. And, you know, because you get resistance and because it feels really hard, doesn't mean anything about you or your lack of, you know, capability to do any of this stuff. It's just really, really hard, you know, in, in general for brains to learn new things in relation to Especially anything. That things that go against what you've said are contraindicated for survival. Yeah. Like it, I, I always have to remind people that let's say that you got randomly bit by a dog, right? Like you would, it would take one negative, like threatening experience for you to be fearful of dogs. And you, if you got bit by a, a, a white poodle, you would not just be fearful of white poodles. You'd be fearful of black labs and, you know, German shepherds and whatever, right? Like that fear is instant and it's generalized, right? And it, it, it it's instant. It is built automatically and it generalizes and it spans across a lot of different neural pathways of different dogs, different colors, different shapes. Unfortunately, it doesn't work as nicely the other way. So it's not going to take one pleasant interaction with a dog to unwrite or to rewrite your fear of dogs. Right. You know, like it's good. It, your brain is always a little bit more stubborn when it comes to like going outside of our comfort zone. And thank goodness for that, because it keeps us alive. It just works in wacky ways. Right. So it's going to take it, it doesn't take much to get scared of something. It takes a lot of work to get unscared of something, but it's still completely possible. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I'm sitting here like laughing to myself because my daughter, we went to the lake house last week and she got stung by a bee. Uh-huh. It, took, it took one time, you know, she's almost four. It took one time before that she was, you know, holding bees, going close to bees, like bumblebees. You know, we've always taught her they're nothing to be scared of. You can hold them as long as you're nice to them and, you know, explaining all of it. And now anything, mm-hmm. it can be a mosquito, a fly. Yep. <laughs> it is like stage 10 emergency, <laughs> but it is, you know, it only takes one thing and then it's really hard you know mm-hmm. to build that healthy response to it yeah. and it's not going to be she's not going to get over that fear again with just one pleasant interaction right, right. like there's going to need to be continued and gradual and very repetitive and prolonged you know exposure to bees yeah. um so we need to be patient with ourselves too it's our brains trying to look out for us right okay. and thank goodness it does that because otherwise in some situations we would be dead um yeah. sometimes like based on especially how we've acted right like or or not acted um we give it the wrong message but the good news is is that research shows that we can rewrite old old neural pathways right like our uh, research shows that brains look different from before therapy to after therapy like that you literally will prune out um like old neural pathways if you don't use it you lose it for the same reason, I don't remember anything that I learned about in my seventh grade history class because I haven't been practicing it, right? So my brain essentially was like, oh, that's useless information. Jenna hasn't used that in a while. So we're going to prune that out and make room for more information that's actually relevant to her survival. Um, so yeah, like you can definitely kind of prune out old neural pathways, replace it with new neural pathways, but it's going to take continued repetition and experience. Yeah. I'm glad you said that. That's such a good note to close on because it totally is possible. And, you know, I know like people will 
look at me sometimes and all of like, do you actually drive now with like peace and you don't have any anxiety and fear? And I'm like, yeah. And I know it's really hard to believe because I know, you know, I was where you were years ago and it is really hard to believe. But the more you practice, you know, you will get to that place. It's mm-hmm. it's hard work, but it's it's worthwhile work. So yeah. and they'll they'll get there too. They'll get right. there too. There were times where I would have never been able to do what I do now, right? Like some of my issues were around my son who's four and a half. And there were days where I, my stomach would drop. I was so terrified of being alone with him, like so much anxiety, so many intrusive thoughts. Um, My stomach would drop if my husband said that he had to go pee. Like my stomach would drop because, oh my gosh, like my husband has to pee. He's going to be gone for 45 seconds. What am I going to like? Oh my gosh, I can handle this. And now like we've, fly across the country together. We have like every, every two weeks we have like a mom and Eli day. I am with him all the time. And yeah, like that's not a dream. Like we worked really hard for that. We worked really, really hard for that. And we made a lot of hard decisions, but you have to get to the point where like, you'd rather be happy than safe, right? Like that you'd rather be happy than fully prepared or you'd rather be happy um, and, and I think it too is realizing that like no ritual is going to keep you hundred percent safe, right? Yeah. Like you can come up with all the safety plans for your panic attacks and something random that you didn't think of could still happen. Like you have to be willing to accept that uncertainty as hard as it is. Um, you know, but yeah, it's, it's so treatable and it's so yeah. responsive new learning. Our brains are really incredible. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, well, Jenna, thank you so much for coming on again. And I really appreciate it. I know this is going to be so helpful. And if people want to find and connect with you further, where do they find you? Absolutely. So you can find me over on Instagram. I'm at jenna.overbaugh on Instagram. I also have a podcast called All the Hard Things. Oh my gosh, I should have you on there. I can't believe I haven't had you on there yet. Yes. I would love that. Yes. Amazing. Um, and yeah, I'm also over at No CD. So if anything that you um, hear about has resonated with you and you want to learn more about it, um, come find us on Instagram at TreatMyOCD or reach out to us at www.nocd.com. I'm happy to help people get connected with a therapist. I'm only licensed in a couple places, but I'm happy to you know always educate more about this. I think it's so important. Yeah, and you do an incredible job. So thank, thank you. you. Thank you so much. And before I end this episode, I want to mention that I'd really appreciate it if you shared this episode or any others with somebody who you feel could benefit from what I share here. You sharing these episodes is what helps me to reach and support others who need it. And if you have an extra minute in your day today, I'd also really appreciate it if you could leave a rating and review over on Apple Podcasts. I read every single review and this too is what helps me to help more people to heal and overcome. All right, until next time, friend, keep taking healthy action. I hope you enjoyed this episode of A Healthy Push. If you want more, head on over to ahealthypush.com for the show notes and lots more tips, tools, and inspiration that will support your recovery. And if you're hoping for me to cover a certain topic, be sure to join my Instagram community at A Healthy Push and let me know in the comments what you want to hear next.